You are listening to the podcast from Mosaic Church. Stay tuned after it for more info about how to get and stay connected with our church family. Now, let's dive into this week's message. So we get the opportunity to, to continue in our, our, our series of the gospel is for everyone. And you get an opportunity to hear from amazing communicator today. You've probably been really blessed for the last few weeks that even in, our, in Morgan's absence, you've got an opportunity to hear amazing teaching and preaching. And so today is not going to be any different. You're going to get the opportunity to hear from Stephen Vigorito. You can give a shout out from a man. And so... Stephen, if, if any of you have gone through the foundations class over the last four to five years, you've probably had him as one of your teachers. And, and, and we have amazing teachers for foundations. But word on the street is that he might be some of y'all favorite. I'm just saying. Let's go call it what it is. He's the bomb.com. And so uh, I just want to just share a little bit about, about Stephen. He's, he's, he's been a deacon at our, at our church. He's an amazing leader. Uh, he's, he's been a, a believer for 29 years, teaching the Bible for 27 years, part of our church for eight and so uh, he's, he's found his calling in the, the legal system. So he started out as, as a defense attorney and now serves as a judge. So it's okay for him to judge you, if you're okay with that. Um, he gets paid to do that. No, and, and recently married the, the, the love of his life, Ren- Renee, who's sitting right next to him. Uh, and, and so both of them individually and now together collectively have been a huge blessing to our church. So if you would give some love, a warm welcome to our, our, our friend who's not just a guest, but a friend and a brother, Honorable Stephen Vigorito. All right. Well, I do consider it a great privilege to be here today and uh, <clears throat> to share the message this morning. Uh, I do teach primarily in a classroom context, and that's a very different type of, of speaking and preparation than being behind the pulpit today. Uh, so I don't do this often, but I do enjoy it nevertheless. Um, and I am grateful. I am married for five months. Uh, <laughs> And uh, so grateful for my wife, Renee Vigorito. Uh, Yes, she has my last name. It sounds kind of (laughs) cool. I was on the Abraham plan when it came to having a family. So uh, it took a while, but good things come to those who wait. And I am grateful for what God has done in my life. Um, We are on a, a... a series on the book of Romans called The Gospel is for Everyone. And what you've heard in the last month and a half or so are a number of messages, a lot of which have been discussing, well, what is the gospel? The word gospel means good news. What is the good news that, uh, that we have for the world in terms of what Jesus came uh, to do for us and what God wants to do in us? And we've talked a lot about that. And now we're going to uh, have an interesting topic on today because when we get to Romans chapter 7, uh, it, the, Paul takes kind of a turn in his subject matter and he begins to discuss something called the law of God. And he discusses the relationship between the law of God and our walk with God. And the reason that has become important and is a topic that needs to be addressed is because Paul is dealing with a first century church which is filled with It's integrated in that it has a lot of Jewish Christians and a lot of Gentile Christians. And particularly the Jewish Christians were used to a certain way of approaching uh, being right with God. Primarily it was an understanding that I'm right with God based upon how well I keep the commandments. 
my rightness with God is based upon my performance for God. And Paul is now moving into this issue because he wants us to understand the freedom we have in Christ, that we're no longer under that type of, type of yoke of fear, where if we don't add up by the commandments, then our relationship with God is severed. And so he begins to address that today um, in Romans chapter 7. I will warn you, this is a theologically dense passage. Uh, it's, a, it's, it's sometimes some people consider it a little bit difficult to understand. But my prayer is that by the end of it, we will have some principles that we can glean from this that will be encouraging, that will bring us freedom. So let's go ahead and uh, jump into the scriptures. This is Paul. My friends, you have died to the law through the body of Christ so that you may belong to another to him who has been raised from the dead, in order that we may bear fruit for God. While we were living in the flesh, our sinful passions aroused by the law were at work in our members to bear fruit for death. But now we are discharged from the law, dead to that which held us captive, so that we are slaves not under the old written code, but in the new life of the Spirit. What then should we say, that the law is sin? By no means. Yet if it had not been for the law, I would not have known sin. I would not have known what it is to covet if the law had, said you sh- if, if the law had not said you shall not covet. But sin, seizing an opportunity in the commandment, produced in me all kinds of covetousness. The very commandment that promised life proved to be death to me. For sin, seizing an opportunity in the commandment, deceived me and through it killed me. It's encouraging, isn't it? Yeah. (laughs) So the law is holy and the commandment is holy and just and good. Did what is good then bring death to me? By no means. It was sin working death in me through what is good in order that sin might be shown to be sin and through the commandment might become sinful beyond measure. For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am of the flesh, sold into slavery under sin. I do not understand my own actions, for I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. Now, if I do what I do not want, I agree that the law is good. But in fact, it is no longer I that do it, but sin that dwells within me. For I know that nothing good dwells within me, that is, in my flesh. I can will what is right. But I cannot do it. For I delight in the law of God in my inmost self, but I see in my members another law at war with the law of my mind, making me a captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. Wretched man that I am, who will rescue me from this body of death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. There is therefore now no condemnation. For those who are in Christ Jesus, for the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and of death. Wow, right? (laughs) That's an intense passage. Uh, And what you'll see there is, in matter of fact, I edited it a bit, and it's longer than that. In Romans chapter 7, the word law actually appears 23 times, and that's all that Paul is really talking about in Romans chapter 7. And so what, we're gonna, uh, what I've titled this message is, The Kingdom of God, Legally Speaking. All right? And it's really discussing the nature and the relationship between the law of God and our walk with God as Christians. Now, I just want to uh, clarify something in terms of what we mean when we say the law of God. 
Well, we're, we're certainly not talking about humanly made laws. You know, uh, my job is to, is to enforce criminal laws in the state of Texas, primarily in the city of Austin. Uh, but those are humanly made laws passed by the Texas legislature. That's not what, God, uh, what Paul is talking about. He's not talking about following humanly made laws. He's talking about the Old Testament law that was the revelation of God to the nation of Israel as to what he wanted humans to be like and what he wanted, how he wanted human society to function. Uh, this is the law that was specifically given to the nation of Israel through Moses. Uh, and most of us understand the law based upon the summary of the law we know as the Ten Commandments. But in fact, it's actually far more than Ten Commandments. It's actually over 600 rules that God handed down to the nation of Israel. And he did this to give them an idea of what he wanted human beings to look like because up until that time, the world was largely lawless. There were very few boundaries and the, the scriptures are a, a historical account of how horrible the world gets because people just live for themselves and have no boundaries. And God calls the nation of Israel as to raise it up as an example, to be a light to the nations, to be an example of what God actually called humans to be like. And he gives them the law, the commandments, as a picture, an image to look at, to say this is what we're supposed to look like. This is really what God looks like, and this is what we're supposed to look like. And so the Jews saw themselves as very privileged to, ha- to, to have the law, but what happened uh, and what is recorded in Scripture is that there's some tension that develops. And the reason is because the Jewish understanding was that the more I read the law and, and devote myself to the law, the closer I'm going to get to God and the more holy I'm going to become. But what Paul is describing here is that the Jewish experience ends up being quite different. Instead, what happens is the more I look at the picture of what I'm supposed to be, of what is holy and of what is godly, the more I come to understand how unholy I actually am. And this is what Paul is talking about in the scriptures today. And uh, so we're going to unpack this, talking about this experience that Paul is describing. And most scholars believe he's not just describing his own experience, but he's actually describing in a sense every person's experience in comparing themselves to the commandments of God. And we're going to look at three things. We're going to look at uh, the law that reveals what I do, the law that reveals who I am, and a new power, a new law, a perfect image. There is good news coming on the back end of this message. Uh, But it is going to get heavy for the first two sections uh, because Paul is explaining the experience of what it's like to look in the mirror of the law and come to the conclusion that he doesn't see, that that the reflection doesn't look like what it needs to to be. First of all, the law that reveals what I do. Paul, uh, in Romans there, he is talking about the commandments and how we're set free from from determining whether we're right with God based upon the commandments. And one of the questions that people asked is, so you're saying the commandments are bad? Was the Old Testament law sin? Was that never never something that we should have devoted ourselves to? And Paul says no. And this is what he says. He says, what then should we say, that the law is sin? By no means. 
Yet if it had not been for the law, I would not have known sin. I would not have known what it is to covet if the law had not said, you shall not covet. What Paul is talking about here is he's saying, I thought I was one person. Uh, The law actually, it says at the end of that verse, it says the very commandment that promised life proves to be death to me. Paul is saying, I thought I was one kind of a person, that I was basically a good person. And then when I opened up the scriptures to devote myself to the law, I looked in the mirror and I saw a reflection that ruined me. Now, I I think when I think about this passage, I think about this uh, time when I was actually working out at Lifetime Fitness years ago, obviously. And... (laughs) And uh, Lifetime Fitness is open all night, 24 hours a day, and I would I'd like to work out late at night. And so I would, and I went, it was something like around 11 or 12, 12 o'clock midnight that night. And so there weren't many people there. And I remember this one time when I was there, and I remember I was working out, and there was a guy next to me who wasn't in good shape at all, and uh, he was struggling. And, and I remember that I was pumping out my push-ups and my sit-ups and all that. And there was something about being next to him that made me feel like, you know, all right. <laughs> you know, I kind of felt like, you know, I'm a pretty healthy dude, man, compared to, compared to him. And God, with his sense of humor, he gets involved, I guess, because shortly thereafter, this guy walks in, and uh, he's like, you know, chiseled all right he's got a six pack he's got these huge guns uh biceps and he walks by me doesn't even look at me and i'm i'm just looking at him like you know forget you man (laughs) you know why what happened i thought i was i thought i was something when i'm comparing myself to the wrong standard but then when the image of fitness literally (laughs) walks by I, i look at it and i'm like you know Look at me. This is ridiculous. I don't even want to look in the mirror now. I don't want to even want to compare myself to what the image of fitness looks like. This is what is happening to Paul. Paul is saying, I thought I was alive. I thought I was all right. And then I started to look at God's commands and I started to compare myself to the picture that God had of what he's saying I'm supposed to be like. And rather than getting encouraged, I find myself ruined. And he highlights a particular commandment that causes him the greatest problem. And when you look at this passage, Paul doesn't talk about any other commandment but one. And that is the 10th commandment, thou shalt not covet. Uh, Do not covet. Which specifically what it was saying is do not covet your neighbor's wife, your neighbor's goods, your neighbor's cattle, your neighbor's farm, your neighbor's everything. Do not be jealous. Do not be envious. Do not covet what other people have. And Paul says, that's the commandment that ruined me. Well, why is that? Because if you look at the other nine commandments, it's really, it's talking uh, on the face at least, on the surface, it's talking about external actions. Do not steal, do not kill, do not lie, uh, keep holy the Sabbath. It's talking about things that in most instances we can control And we can look at and say, I'm doing okay. And it's dealing with our external veneer of morality. But this 10th commandment is different. Because the 10th commandment doesn't look at your external actions. It cuts through the fog to the heart. 
And it says, God's saying, I'm not just interested in what you do on the outside. I'm interested in what's going on right in here. And he's essentially saying what Paul is saying is the 10th commandment just doesn't say, God's not saying just don't steal. He's saying, I want you to be as happy about other people's success and prosperity and abundance as you are about your own. Now, Paul reads that. And the more he reads that and the more he looks inside himself, the covetousness in him just becomes glaring and it explodes. And it gets to the point where the more he reads, the more he compares himself to the image, the more profoundly he becomes aware of how much he doesn't add up. And in case you, uh, in case you might think, well, that's too, that's kind of pretty a tough standard God's using. He's cut, he's, he's wanting you to be perfect in your heart too. Well, we understand that actually in relationships. We actually inspect, expect that a lot of times from each other. So this is not some novel idea. Uh, an example would be, you know, if, uh, if you have a couple, a married couple, and they come to their anniversary, let's say it's their first anniversary, and, you know, let's say the guy wakes up, and he goes to work, and he doesn't say anything, and she's wondering whether he forgot, but then he comes home, and he walks into the, to the door, and he's got a rose in his hand, and, it, and the wife is sitting there at the dinner table, and she's like, okay, he remembered, and, and she, she's excited, And then he sits down and he says, you know, I'm not really into all this anniversary stuff. You know, I'm not really into all this giving of gifts and stuff. But, you know, I know this is expectations and I know you want a gift. So I got you something. Happy anniversary, baby. How you feel about that? And then he says, I think I'm going to go play some video games for the rest of the evening. Why is that not satisfactory? It's obvious. What she would say is, I'm not even as interested in the gift as I am in what's going on the inside of you. The gift is supposed to be a reflection of your love for me and your devotion for me, and you've totally missed the point. And that's what God is getting at at this 10th commandment. He's trying to show us a picture of what he wants us to be like, and it's a high standard. And Paul says that commandment ruins him. It's a mirror to his soul that tells him he doesn't add up. And then we go to point number two, and that is the law that reveals who I am. Now, if you think it's tough there, it actually gets worse. Uh, It gets more intense. Paul now describes something, a deeper struggle. This is what he says is going on in him. He says, For we know the law is spiritual, but I am of the flesh, sold into slavery under sin. I do not understand my own actions. I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. Now, if I do what I do not want, I agree that the law is good, but in fact, it is no longer I that do it, but sin that dwells within me. For I know that nothing good dwells within me that is in my flesh. I can will what is right, but I cannot do it. And later on in the next paragraph, he says... Oh, wretched man that I am. In a sense, Paul's now taking it to another level. He's looking at the mirror of the law of what God has asked him to be on his own. And he's realizing not just that the law reveals that he does bad things, 
but it actually reveals who he is, that in his character there is brokenness, that there is fundamentally a power within that is intention and that has no interest in following the commandments of God. Now, I will tell you that there is a lot of scholarly debate on who Paul is talking about. Many people would argue he surely isn't talking about himself because how could a great holy man like that be struggling with that kind of sin after they've already received Christ? So there's a big debate on whether or not this is describing his experience before he received Christ or after he received Christ. And it's not something that will be resolved today. I think that there are good arguments on both sides. But what I can tell you is that I think we all can identify with, with, the, with the struggle God is, uh, th- that Paul is describing. How many of us can identify with what it feels like to look at your life and say, I don't want to be that. It's, it's, it's something I want to change, but I can't seem to get rid of it. Particularly if you've dealt with an addiction. Uh, and I don't just mean drugs and alcohol. I mean addiction to a certain type of behavior. It could be an addiction to my, my need for approval from others. It could be an addiction to greed or keeping up with the Joneses or keeping up with the Joneses' children. It could be an addiction to my selfish ambition. It can be a, just an utter level of self-centeredness that we come to grips with and we see in ourselves And God shines his light on our life to such a degree that we're saying, I don't want to be like this. I want to be different, but I don't know how to change. What Paul is describing is the experience that someone comes to when they say to themselves, I don't just need to be forgiven of sin. I need to be changed on the inside. Which leads us to point number three. A new power, a new law, and a perfect image. The message of the gospel is to deal with that exact situation. The message of the gospel, and I'll tell you that a lot of times we sometimes, we, we sometimes only preach half the gospel. Because what we, we say the gospel is that Jesus died on the cross for your sins. You can be forgiven. You can now go to heaven. Now, is that true? Of course But is that the whole gospel? See, that gospel is a gospel that ends at Jesus' death. The gospel, the good news, is not only that Jesus died for my sins, but that he resurrected, and therefore when I put my faith in him, not only am I forgiven, but I can receive a resurrection and be made a new creation. What... What Paul is saying is we don't need a rehab program where we just make some cosmetic changes. We need a whole new resurrection program. And the good news of the gospel is that God is now providing a way through, through Jesus Christ for us not just to be forgiven but to be changed. And what it's known as in theological terms is to be born again. And many of you have heard that term. Many of us have heard that term, born again, and to be a born-again Christian. And just to make sure that we're clear on what that means, it comes from John chapter 3, where uh, Jesus is talking to Nicodemus. So he's talking to a Pharisee, uh, someone just like Paul. A Pharisee was one who devoted their entire life to trying to follow every single thing that the law says that a person should be. So the point is, Jesus is not talking to someone who doesn't care about God. He's talking to someone who's trying his darndest. 
And this is what he tells Nicodemus. He says, unless you're born again, you will not even see the kingdom of God. And Nicodemus responds in a way that I think a lot of us would have responded in that, in, in that situation. He actually says this in the scriptures. He says, how can a man be born more than once? What am I supposed to do? Crawl back inside my mother's stomach and be born? Maybe he's getting smart with Jesus, right? <laughs> but that's actually a logical response, right? And Jesus responds, and, he, and I'm paraphrasing. He says, no, 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 no. You've been born physically, but that doesn't mean you've been born spiritually. You've been born of the flesh, but not necessarily of the spirit. You, 30, 40, 50 years ago, your parents gave birth to you, and you're walking around as a physically, biologically alive person. But just because you're physically alive doesn't mean you're spiritually alive. And in the same way that you were given birth physically, you need God to give birth to a new person on the inside of you spiritually. And that is the message of the gospel, that when I receive Christ, not only does he forgive me of my sins, but he creates a new person on the inside of me. And because I have a new being on the inside of me, I now have a new power. Because Ephesians 4 and 28 says that that new person that is given birth to you when you receive Christ is created in the image of God. Which means they have, that, that that new being has the power and the capacity to be all God has called us to be. And it means that we can now become what God has called us to become. The difference between the Old Testament law and the New Testament law, I would say one of the ways I would describe it is this. How many of you have ever had a boss or a family member or a colleague that all they do is criticize and tell you where you're not adding up, but they don't actually lend a hand? And they, don't act, they see it as their, uh, they take it upon themselves as their responsibility to tell you where you're missing and what you need to change, but they have no interest in taking a responsibility to help you carry the load. That's what it was like in the Old Testament looking at the law. You're looking at the mirror of the image that God wants you to be. You look at it. It says, I'm not adding up, but it doesn't help you change. Jesus comes and he says, I'm a different kind of mirror. I'm a different kind of leader. I'm a different kind of law. And he comes and he says, I'm not here to criticize you because I'm here to fulfill in you whatever it is I ask of you. Because when you receive Christ, his power in you helps you to become what he wants you to be. There's one of my favorite theologians. Uh, turn it to the, the next passage. There it is. One of my favorite theologians, Watchman Nee, says this. Uh, he's a, a, of a Chinese descent, fascinating theologian. Uh, and he says this. The law requires much, but offers no help in the carrying out of its requirements. The Lord Jesus requires just as much, yea, more. But what he requires from us, he himself carries out in us. The law makes demands and leaves us helpless to fulfill them. Christ makes demands, but he himself fulfills in us the very demands he makes. And that's the gospel. Jesus is coming and he's not saying, you need to do this, you need to do that. He's saying, let me help you do this. Let me help you do that. And that's what a real leader is. Now, the question then becomes, well, now that I've received Christ and I'm born again, do the commandments matter? What, what, what law runs my life? And Jesus is, and, and the message of the gospel is that there is a new law. Now, what is that new law? The new law is, first of all, that 
it's a law of grace, meaning that my rightness with God is not based upon how well I do in the commandments of God. My rightness with God, my access to God, is based upon not what I've done, but what Jesus has done. And therefore, it doesn't fluctuate day to day. A lot of the reasons why we are sometimes don't pray as much as we want or spend time with the Lord as much as we, we might want is because we don't feel that God's very interested in hanging out with us because of how we've been living. And it's because we evaluate our ability to approach God based upon how we've been doing rather than what Jesus has done. So the first thing with the law of the Spirit is, is that, it, is that I'm set free from the burden of feeling that at any moment my relationship with God is severed because I screwed up. The second thing that the new law is, is it is God calling us to fulfill the spirit of the law rather than the letter of the law. You ever heard of the difference between the spirit and the letter? It's where someone follows through technically with the requirements of what they were asked to do, but they miss the whole point. I gave you that example of the anniversary and the guy who comes with the, in with the rose. Well, imagine if the wife says, well, this isn't satisfactory to me. And imagine if the guy sits down and says, well, I don't understand why it's not satisfactory. You told me you wanted a gift. I gave you a gift. I fulfilled the requirements. What would you say to that? I think you would say, you, you may have fulfilled the requirements technically, but you missed the whole point. You followed the letter, but you missed the spirit. Well, what's the spirit of the law? I think the woman in that situation would say, the spirit of this thing is love. Do you love me? Do you care about me? Your actions ought to be a manifestation of what's going on on the inside. And Jesus says the same thing. When one lawyer comes to him in Matthew chapter 23, a lawyer asks Jesus a question and says, teacher, which commandment in the law is the greatest? And Jesus said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the greatest and first commandment, and a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. What is Jesus saying? He's saying, all those commandments in the Old Testament, anything that God has ever told anybody ever to do, is simply about loving God and loving one another. And essentially what he's saying is, if you walk in love, you will end up fulfilling the letter of the law without even trying. Because if you love someone, you don't want to steal from them. If you love someone, you don't covet what they, what's happened in their life because you, because you care about them as yourself. And what Paul is saying, what Jesus is saying, is that I'm not calling you to be lawless. I'm actually calling you to a higher level to fulfill not just the letter of the law, but the spirit of the law. And why is that? It's because God's ultimate purpose is the restoration of the perfect image of God. And that's the last point. In Genesis chapter 1, God shares, he says, when he creates human beings, he declares why he did it. He says, let us make humans in our image, in our likeness, and let us give them dominion over all of the earth. What is he saying? He's saying, I want to give a certain creature stewardship over the earth where they care for the world the way I would in my stead, and I want them to be with my character so that when the world looks at a human being, they can say, that's what God looks like. I see the reflection of God's character and love and virtue. And what God's mission is, through the resurrection of Christ, 
is to not only forgive us of our sins, but to give us an opportunity through the rebirth, through being born again, to be restored into the image of God so that we don't just follow the letter of the law, but the spirit of the law, and so that the world can look at us and say, that's what God looks like. 1 John 4 says, God is love, and that the way in which we ultimately image God is to image his love. Now, that's a lot of theology. I just want to leave you with a couple of practical points to take away with uh, that hopefully you can apply. Well, how can I take this and, and make use of it in my life? I would say three things. Number one, that your salvation has been and always will be by grace. Meaning that your relationship with God, there is never a point where your relationship with God, your access to God, becomes a function of whether or not you add up. Never. Romans 8, 1 and 2, the conclusion of this passage, Jesus, uh, Paul says, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, for the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and death. The law of sin and death is, I sin, I'm separated from God. The law of the Spirit is, I sinned, Jesus died for it. I'm a child of God. Think about it, what it means to be a child of God. When a child disobeys their parents, they might get disciplined, but they don't stop being their parent's child. And when we struggle with sin, as much as we may have to deal with change, there's never a time that God disowns us and says, that's not my child. In fact, the scriptures actually says, do not despise the discipline of the Lord for whom the Lord loves, he corrects as a father, the son in whom he delights. And the second thing I would share with you as an encouragement is that not only is my salvation by grace alone, but my transformation, your transformation is always by grace alone. And what do I mean by that? What we learn from this passage in, in a, a sense is that I can't change myself And that when I see, when God reveals to me areas of my life that don't add up, he's not revealing it to us to criticize us. He's revealing it to heal it. And the reason I say that is because because the more, the closer you walk with God and the more vibrant the Holy Spirit is in your life, the more you will see your own depravity and what God wants to to transform. It's like if you walk into a room that just has a dim light, you're not able to see any of the dust on the counters and all the windows. But if you walk into a room with a bright light, all of a sudden there's a lot of things you see, a lot of dirt you see that you didn't see before. And in the same way, there are a lot of us that we are growing in our relationship with God and because of that we see things in our life. God is opening up our lives to a level of self-centeredness that we had no idea for the last tens of our Christianity was even there. Now, your spouse probably saw it, but you didn't see it. And when we see that, all of a sudden we think, okay, I've, I've kind of backslidden. I'm, I'm, I'm backslidden. God must be upset. It's actually just the opposite. The fact that you see that isn't a surprise to God, it's just a surprise to you. And God is actually, the answer that God would be saying to that is, that's actually a sign of growth. And whatever it is that I reveal, I'm actually wanting to heal. Don't trust in your own power, trust in the power of the Holy Spirit, surrender it to me, and ask me to get involved. And the last thing I would share is 
well, how do I walk in victory? I've got a new person on the inside, but I still have this flesh still hanging around. I still have this proclivity to sin. It didn't just like disappear. There's kind of a war going on. And I would say this, and that is fruit bearing, bearing the fruit, reflecting the image of Jesus is more a function of abiding than in striving. What do I mean? It's more a function of staying connected in my intimacy to my relationship with the Lord than it is me trying hard. Jesus explains what it looks like to actually bear fruit and, and actually start looking like the image of God. In John chapter 15, this is what he says. He says, I am the vine, you are the branches. Uh, that he's speaking in terms of a vineyard, uh, in, in terms of an apple tree. You would, he would be saying, I am the trunk of the tree, you are the branches. And he's saying, apart from me, you can do nothing. The only way you will bear fruit is to the degree that you abide in, that you stay connected to me. What he's saying is, to the degree that you want to grow in fruitfulness and in the image of God, it's not so much about trying harder, but it's about connecting more. You'll never see a branch sitting on, the side, uh, on an apple tree, and if it had a face, going, I'm just trying to produce apples. You know what, the, the, the branch's job isn't to try to produce apples. The branch isn't trying to produce any fruit at all. You know what the branch is doing? It's just trying to hang on. It's just trying to stay connected to the trunk where all the life is coming from. And what God is saying is transformation in our lives doesn't come from trying hard or being more disciplined. And I'm not saying there's not a place for that. But the real transformation comes when I stay connected to Jesus. And Jesus' invitation for you to, to abide in him and to stay connected is always open. Jesus says in Matthew 11, he says this, Come to me, all of you who are burdened and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. For I am gentle and lowly at heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Jesus' invitation is for you to come to him so that he can do in you whatever he asks of you. So I want to encourage every one of us here to, to seek how you can walk in the freedom that Christ has given us because we are set free from the law of the flesh to live in the law of the Spirit. God bless. Thanks for listening. For more info about how to get and stay connected to Mosaic Church, please visit us online at www.mosaicchurchaustin.com or download our app from your app store.